This is an ABC podcast. A new report finds the health gap between people in the bush and the city is widening, with remote women more likely to die 19 years earlier than their metro counterparts. For Rebecca Britton, these statistics highlights the importance of the Royal Flying Doctors to her community. Without the RFDS, this community would be lost. We would lose everyone from this community, either from leaving, from death, from illness, chronic disease, and it's just, it's not fair. And health professionals in Alice Springs push for better therapeutic care for conditions like FASD. We're not tough on crime, we're tough on disability. We're tough on those with childhood trauma. Our prisons are full of broken people. That's our national shame. I'm Sinead Mangan, and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadja Country. But first to Central Australia. It was announced today by the Northern Territory Government that it will put in place urgent temporary dry zones in remote communities and town camps. Chief Minister Natasha Files told a media pack these dry zones will be in place until residents can vote on whether to continue alcohol bans in their community on a permanent basis. Ms Files says 60% of people would need to be in favour of the bans developed as part of a community alcohol plan for them to continue. We've heard loudly and clearly that the matter and decision of alcohol on community needs to be one that is made by the entire community. That is why we're creating a circuit breaker and implementing temporary dry zones until communities can develop and vote on the alcohol management plans, the community alcohol plans they want to see. Chief Minister Files went on to say there are 96 communities that these bans will affect and of those 96, she said 88 were already dry communities. The draft laws will be introduced into the Territory's Parliament next week. The current restrictions on buying alcohol in Alice Springs does remain in place. Right now locals, they can't buy alcohol Mondays and Tuesdays and bottle shops are restricted from selling booze between 3 and 7 the rest of the week. Chief Minister Files revealed in this press conference that the federal government has committed an extra $250 million to improve services in Central Australia. The Prime Minister has committed to $250 million in Central Australia in additional funding. This funding will focus on improved community safety and cohesion through more youth engagement and diversion programs. Job creation, particularly in the communities that surround Alice Springs, including urgent changes to replacing the failed Community Development Program, or CDP. Better services, by improving health services and other services in surrounding communities, there will be less pressure on Alice Springs. Preventing and addressing the issues caused by fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, including better responding through the health and justice systems. Investing in families, including by better supporting elders and parents and boosting our domestic and family violence services. And on-country learning, improving school attendance and completion through caring for country programs. Northern Territory Chief Minister Natasha Files speaking a little earlier today. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. We heard there the Chief Minister speaking about the impact of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in Central Australia. As the debate continues over what to do about the youth crime wave in Alice Springs, those in the front lines are concerned FASD, as it's known, is being ignored. 
Experts say it's a major factor behind crime in the outback town, but many young people aren't being diagnosed until it's too late. From Alice Springs, Charmaine Allison has this story. For Walbury man Lachlan Sharp, the Alice Springs youth crime crisis is much more complex than just kids causing chaos on the streets. A teacher at the local Aboriginal school, some of these children could be his students, and he knows their stories are deeply complex. Because a lot of the times the kids are just misunderstood. Um, A lot of our kids, you know, they're portrayed a a certain way when, um, you know, they've got underlying issues that, you know, that sometimes aren't being met. In recent weeks, the outback town has attracted fevered national attention. But those on the front line, like Mr Sharp, say one key factor has been consistently left out of the conversation. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD, is a condition that results from alcohol exposure in pregnancy. Experts say some symptoms, including impaired impulse control, poor social judgment and anger and aggression can increase the risks of criminal activity. Early diagnosis and treatment is crucial, but according to Central Australian Aboriginal Congress paediatric clinical neuropsychologist Amelia Patterson, there's little focus and even less funding in this space. It's really interesting that we, we talk about FASD increasing the risk of criminal behaviour, whereas from my perspective, it's poorly supported FASD. In Alice Springs, it takes more than 18 months for a child to be diagnosed with FASD. But at that point, many are already caught in cycles of crime. And according to FASD researcher and Palawa woman Nicole Hewlett, many more children are going undiagnosed. We're not talking about FASD. That is really underpinning and should be at the heart of any of these conversations that we're having. In Alice Springs, there's just one publicly funded service, Central Australian Aboriginal Congress, providing FASD diagnoses and treatment in town. They currently have a multidisciplinary team of 11 supporting children who are developmentally vulnerable. But according to Ms Patterson, it's not nearly enough. So ideally we would see them as soon as the referral is made. Um, And to do that, I can't even imagine how much more staff we'd need. Um, Four times our current capacity, six. Um, You know, I'm guessing because it's just so far from what we're able to do at the moment. Concerned too many students were going undiagnosed, a local Aboriginal school, Yipurinya, recently decided to take matters into their own hands. We had a team of psychologists, paediatricians, speech therapists, occupational therapists, so forth. It was a, t- a core team of six to eight. We flew them in from all over the country. They stayed on site at Yipurinya School and across one week they were able to assess 18 of our students, 12 of those students received a diagnosis and 9 of those students received an NDIS plan. Mr Sharp says it's already making a difference. Yeah, I feel like there's you know, there's a lot of hope for a lot of our kids because a lot of our kids, you know, whether it be FASD or there be any other um, health issues, you know, it's only going to help us understand our kids a lot better. While there have been sustained calls for a tougher on crime approach in Alice Springs, Experts say this could do more harm than good. They say until complex long-term issues behind crime are addressed, such as FASD, Alice Springs won't see lasting change. We're not tough on crime, we're tough on disability. We're tough on those with childhood trauma. We're tough on mental illness. Our prisons are full of broken people that have been caged and tortured further and they come out even more broken. And the system calls that justice. 
That's our national shame. That's FASD researcher and Palawa woman Nicole Hewlett ending that story from Charmaine Allison. And earlier you also heard Yopinia School Principal Gavin Morris. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. Women and Indigenous people living in remote areas are statistically likely to die nearly two decades earlier than their city counterparts, according to a new report from the Royal Flying Doctor Service. The Best for the Bush Rural and Remote Health Baseline 2022 report showed women living in very remote parts of Australia were likely to die 19 years earlier than women based in the city. Our reporter, Emily Dobson, has looked into this and she presented these statistics to Rebecca Britton, who lives remotely with her family in northwest Queensland, to get her response. It's a statistic that Rebecca Britton, a long-time resident of remote northwest Queensland community Booya, finds unnerving. That is incredibly shocking and intimidating. That's not okay. Why? It makes me, my mind opens up to a hundred questions. I need all the answers so that the problem solving can commence. The most notable barrier was the absence of primary healthcare services within a reasonable distance. But thankfully, another service helps to plug this gap. The RFDS are the lifeblood out here. And without the RFDS, we would have zero access to doctors. So the health and hospital service seem to have a very heavy reliance on the RFDS because without the RFDS, this community would be lost. We would lose everyone from this community, either from leaving, from death, from illness, chronic disease. And it's just, it's not fair. It takes a special kind of person to live out here. It is hard work. It is challenging every single day. The report found that a lack of access to primary health care meant people in the bush were dying from diseases that could be easily managed with basic health services. So accessing healthcare out here has always been one of the biggest challenges and ultimately becomes the reason why a lot of people either have to leave or just can't move here in the first place or don't want to because of the risk factor. In spite of what the report has highlighted, Beck wants to help fix the issues pertinent in her community. It's not fair. And yeah, that won't, that won't make me run away from the problem. That'll make me want to face the problem head on and do something about it. RFDS Federation Executive Director Frank Quinlan says health systems are failing outback Australians. We decided to make the effort to analyse some of our own data and to tie that together with data from other sources like the Bureau of Statistics so that we could have a really good snapshot of healthcare in rural and remote parts of Australia. The RFDS report also found that men in very remote areas were likely to die 14 years earlier than those living in the city. Meanwhile, the health of Indigenous people in the bush was even poorer. For a lot of Australians, there simply isn't access to GP-led or nurse-led services uh, within any kind of reasonable driving distance. So the Institute of Health and Welfare suggests that reasonable access is about an hour away. We know that uh, more than 40,000 Australians have no access to uh, services locally within that distance. And that gets worse when we start to talk about mental health services or dental services, where that number blows out to more than 100,000 Australians. And what that tells us is that we need to be finding new and innovative ways of delivering those services into 
uh, communities, but we know that the services are simply failing to deliver care in in areas of uh, regional Australia. Those those gaps in services are creeping closer and closer back uh, towards metropolitan centres. And what that really tells us is that the further you get from a metropolitan centre, the poorer your health outcomes are likely to be and the poorer access you are likely to have uh, to healthcare. Catherine Woodhouse lives with her family on the remote cattle property Beantha Station, 100 kilometres from Julia Creek in northwest Queensland. She says there's an element of invincibility in the bush. They may be able to ignore problems for a lot longer because, you know, we've got a resilient mindset and there is other things more important than us such as our land and our cattle and you have to look after things like that sometimes. Well, I've had no problems that I've had to seek a doctor's assistance for but the lack of a permanent doctor in Julia Creek has concerned me especially when you, you know, you drop a pin on a map of where that doctor is and then where the next doctor is and the distance is just, it's too much. If something comes up and I have a little ache or a pain one day, I think, oh, what can I do about that? Well, nothing, because there's nobody here for me to go and see. So what could be improved? In Booyah, Beck Britton doesn't see a simple fix. Information sharing would be the first step. Access, knowledge sharing of how to get access. There's just so many holes that need to be filled and I don't know where to start and I don't know what the answer is, but I think that the first step is in identifying them and then coming together cohesively to form a plan. That sentiment is echoed by the RFDS report. We'd like the Commonwealth Government and state and territory governments to sit down and do some really careful planning together as we did during the COVID crisis, uh, so that we are maximising the opportunities that we have to deliver care. We're avoiding duplication and we're closing the sorts of gaps that are identified in a report like the one we've produced today. Emily Dobson with that story. ABC Australia Wide. I think it's wonderful. I think everyone should come and see it. On ABC Radio. Getting kids to the dentist can be a chore for many parents before even thinking about how you're going to pay for it. But a dental scheme that gives parents around $1,000 every two years to spend on dental is helping prevent tooth decay among young Australians. Dentists say the benefits are obvious and are now, along with the Council of Ageing, are calling on government to provide a similar scheme for the elderly. Tyrone Dalton has this story. The focus of dental care is often on the young, but now health professionals are concerned about access to oral health care for the elderly. But amid the rising cost of living, dentists and advocates for seniors are calling for dental subsidies for children to be expanded to the elderly. And We know that the Royal Commission into Aged Care, Safety and Quality a few years ago recommended a Seniors Dental Benefits Program, which is essentially what we're talking about, the Child Dental Benefits Schedule, but extended to older adults. That was Australian Dental Association's Victorian branch CEO, Matt Hopcraft. He's joining dentists and advocates for senior Australians in lobbying governments to improve oral hygiene among Australians. So we think that that's a really key part of what we want to see moving forward so that older Australians get access to dental care as well. 
The child benefit scheme has just been extended by the federal government for another four years. It means families on Family Tax Benefit A can access up to $1,026 in benefits over two years for basic dental. The scheme has received bipartisan support, with the Commonwealth spending nearly $440 million since 2014 to provide dental checkups for 900,000 children. The scheme prevents bigger issues down the line. That was lead dentist Dr Sadi Naidu from Kennington Dental in Bendigo in regional Victoria. And its preventative nature and its nature of encompassing all kids would be its best benefit. He says the child dental benefit scheme is helping to prevent tooth decay among children. The one limitation which is the general anaesthetic but other than that it's a brilliant, brilliant scheme. And the stats back up the need for free dental for Australians. Matt Hopcraft again. One in three kids have tooth decay by the age of five to six in their baby teeth and two in five kids have tooth decay in their adult teeth by the age of 12 to 14. The 2017 National Survey of Adult and Oral Health found that while three in five older Australians visited the dentist in the past 12 months, 22% of 1,000 people aged 75 and over said they avoided or delayed dental care due to cost, and 18% said they would have difficulty paying a $200 bill. You would have seen in the pandemic that when people didn't access any dental care, they ended up with problems, bigger problems, and that is what this scheme does. This scheme prevents bigger issues down the line. Whether it's there and available is what is important. The Council of the Aging also wants to see a senior dental benefit scheme established. It's Victorian CEO Chris Pataris. Dental conditions alone were the second biggest cause of potentially preventable hospital admissions in Victoria, which could have been avoided through early intervention and prevention. Older people accounted for a third of these presentations. The Council of the Aging says the need for the scheme is indicative of a greater issue of access to dental care and affordability. Many older Victorians who cannot afford private care have no choice but to languish on public dental waiting lists. Family tax benefit data from September last year shows that in the regional city of Bendigo, more than 9,000 families are covered under the Child Benefits Dental Scheme, with nearly 18,000 children eligible. And Federal MP Lisa Chester says the government has more to do to open up the scheme and improve the oral health of older Australians. Not just for children wanting to access care in those more complex cases, but for much older Australians. Chris Pataris again. Older people experience higher levels of oral disease than younger people. This is associated generally with increased health problems such as diabetes and increased use of medication. They rely on loved ones such as family and close friends and the state more than they would have to. And after a raw commission and lobbying politicians, it appears Canberra is listening. If you've ever met someone in an aged care home who's struggling a bit with their poor dental health care, they tell you, we just didn't know when we were younger. We just didn't have the access we've got today. And that shouldn't be their punishment. And according to Dr Naidu, a dental scheme for all would be something to smile about. It is something that is absolutely necessary. Bendigo dentist Scythe Naidu ending that story there from Tyrone Dalton. And you can read more about this story on Australia Wide's webpage. Just search for Australia Wide on abc.net.au. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide on ABC Radio. 
complete change of pace now. I'll put this to you. If someone came to you with a crazy idea to become a commercial earthworm farmer, would you pull up stumps and move hundreds of k's to make that concept a reality? As Jennifer Nichols discovered, that's exactly what Rowan and Ellie Watson did. And they haven't looked back. In fact, their farm has just expanded. So we've got these lovely big covers that like the Western Sun. Rowan and Ellie Watson couldn't be prouder about having worms, millions of them. Oh, wow, you're scraping back the surface and it is just alive with worms. Yeah, so that's our harvesting technique. We use the food, we keep them at the top, and then from there we can harvest the worms. In 2014, the carpenter and his kindergarten teacher wife were working in outback Cloncurry when his uncle posed a question that would change the course of their lives. I was down on holidays and he come and said to me, what are you doing when you finish out west? And I said, I don't know. He said, do you want to come grow worms? And I said, you've got to be crazy. That can't be a thing. But it is a thing. And Stephen Watson, an early adopter of commercial vermiculture in Australia, that's worm farming, convinced his nephew that he was serious. And he said at the rate it was growing and he only had a small block, so he could only get to a certain size and that was it. So he said, do you want to buy a farm and start growing worms? And so I came home and have a chat with Ellie and we said, well, let's give it a go. By the end of that year, the Watsons had packed up their lives, scouted for land and settled on a property at Stony Creek, not far from the Woodford Folk festival site in Queensland. They started with just nine raised beds. Now they have 138 with recycled tin roofing, shade cloth and sprinklers to keep the worms moist and safe from ever optimistic predators. The cane toads and the birds are your biggest thieves. Especially on the warm nights and the humid nights like we've got right now, a lot of the big fellas will just sort of poke their heads out and go for a bit of a look around and when they do that a lot of time the cane toads are waiting for them. So we spend a lot of nights with a bucket and a glove and torch and Yeah, try and minimise those numbers off. Their business grows reds, tigers and African nightcrawlers for domestic composting worm farms. We collect all these animal manures, it gets pasteurised so we can burn off any weed seed or any sort of bad pathogens and then we start the composting process and then basically at the right time we can put it into a mixer we mix in lime and cornmeal we feed our beds every friday harvesting packing and deliveries take another two days the family supplies a national company that transports their worms to Bunnings stores throughout northern new south wales and queensland householders use them to keep kitchen vegetable scraps out of landfill composting worms convert organic waste into nutrient-rich garden fertilizer in the form of worm tea and castings or worm poo. Most of your reds and your tigers are normally only about 75 millimetres long, whereas your nightcrawlers can go 150 mil up to sort of 250, if not, I have seen bigger. I've seen them as long as my arm. <laughs> Business has boomed, spiking during the pandemic. Every week they consistently sell around 150 large and 120 small boxes of earthworms. The last few weeks have been both exciting and intense for the couple. Their uncle retired and 58 new worm beds have been carefully relocated from his farm. Mr Watson never imagined that business would get this big. I kind of always just assumed that it would sort of stay as a bit of a hobby to work in with my carpentry, but once it sort of got going and we started getting a lot of beds and that demand was there, we sort of found that, okay, well, it wasn't really worth doing the carpentry anymore. The worms needed the time. So we just sort of, that's when we started investing in more worm beds, more infrastructure and just trying to keep up with it. And it, it's been great. It's really, especially today, to look around and see all these worm beds in the new areas. Yeah, it's really amazing. They also collect worm castings and bag them for sale to locals. 18 kilos in a large bag and that's enough for about three square metres of garden. Mix it into about that top sort of 10 centimetres of soil because that's your root zone for a lot of your veggies and your flowers. Basically the nutrients from there will spread out. 
we did a test in one of these bags and it was a year later and it was still fine. It was just put up in the cupboard, out of the sun and yeah, perfect. Ellie Watson manages marketing and orders as well as helping her husband with social media. A lot of people don't even know that worm farmers exist so it's always interesting talking to different people and helping them with their worms and their gardens. And I get to pass all the interesting questions on to Rowan. I call him the worm guru. Ellie Watson, what do you like about being a worm farmer? The lifestyle is definitely the best. We get to work from home and it's different. It's a nice break from teaching. And yeah, and it's lovely that we can involve the whole family. And speaking of family, you're expecting <laughs> very soon, hopefully within the next three weeks. <laughs> And you've got two littlies already? Yes. So Jack's four and Molly will be two. They must just absolutely love having all this area to be able to run around. Yes, they're um, naked and wild and free children, I think. <laughs> That's the best way to describe them. Yeah, no, they're great. And it's such a beautiful lifestyle for them. They always help with the worms and lots of animals to look after and, yeah, just freedom. Worm farmer Ellie Watson speaking there to Jennifer Nichols. I have to say at my place, I haven't quite nailed the whole worm farm thing. I seem to kill them a little bit more regularly than I should. And that's Australia Wide for this Monday. I hope you're having a lovely evening. I'll speak to you again tomorrow. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.